Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. Well, this past week I was driving on Mohawk again doing 55 miles an hour between Hageman, you know that stretch between Hageman and Rosedale Highway, oil fields out there, and right about where the guy that was carrying the commode last Sunday, right about there I I see there's this huge tumbleweed just waiting. It's not moving, nothing's happening until I started getting close, and then it starts tumbling. And its trajectory is such that my truck and the tumbleweed, you can tell they're going to collide. So I had to make a snap decision. It's me or the tumbleweed. Either I swerve to save its life or I stay in my lane to save my life. Guess which one I did? Well, obviously, I'm here. And after I tried to straddle it with my truck, I heard this sound and I could see the remnants of the tumbleweed in my rearview mirror. Something similar happened to me when I was working in North Dakota. I was driving in my work truck on an empty highway, and suddenly a pheasant darts across the road. It's like I didn't even know where this pheasant came from. It's like, you know, he's with his buddies, and they're daring each other. All right, wait, here's another truck. Let's see if we can cross now. And so this pheasant darts across the road. Well, you know, in that split second, I have a decision to make to either save the pheasant's life or save my life. Now, I had found out that in North Dakota, you can hunt pheasant, but only the roosters. You can't kill a hen or you get in big trouble. Well, in that split second, I didn't know if it was a rooster or a hen or I just barely registered it was a pheasant. So once again, I tried to straddle it with my tires and I heard this loud thump. I looked in my rearview mirror and there was this cloud of feathers. I know it's sad, isn't it? But it was me or him. This morning, I don't want to run over anyone on purpose. However, I will not swerve out of my lane. I must preach what the Lord has put on my heart. And I hope there's no tattered tumbleweed or explosion of feathers in my wake. Let's read our text. The disciples were in a prayer meeting, and this is what they prayed, Acts 4.27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles... And the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they are meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Our theme for 2023 is stretch out your hand to heal. We're believing God is going to bring us into a season of divine healing. But there are other times in scripture when it says God stretched out his hand. Now, as we said, this is an anthropomorphism. It's not that God has a literal hand, but it's poetic, it's representative, it's symbolic. And the hand of God is used throughout Scripture. And so we, for the sake of the review, let's go through the first four we discussed last week. Number one, God stretches out his hand to deliver. God was going to rescue 
his people out of bondage and abuse and captivity in Egypt. And nothing could stop the mighty hand of God. He was going to do it. And so if you need delivered from anything, how many know the hand of God can do it? We need to just ask the Lord, God, stretch out your hand. If you're in any kind of bondage, addiction, whatever it may be, just reach out to God knowing that he's reaching out to us. God can deliver us. The second mention of the hand of the Lord is number two, God reaches out his hand in love. Sometimes people feel unloved by God. It's amazing. But I've run into so many, and I've got to be honest, sometimes I've felt that myself. More than anything, the devil wants you to feel like God does not love you, or he's disappointed in you, or he's ashamed of you. But my Bible says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because he's going to judge us and slap us around, but to find help in our time of need. And so God stretches out his hand to love. And not only that, number three, God stretches out his hand to guide. You know, it's easy to get lost in this world. Crazy things are going on. And day by day, we need to ask for God's guidance in your life. Don't start your day without asking God to guide you. Commit your day unto the Lord. Even before you get out of bed, just say, Lord, I dedicate this day to you. Please lead me by your outstretched hand throughout my day. Before God can guide us, we must first give up control, though. You see, we want to lead God instead of God leading us. Number four, God stretches out his hand to save. God will save us when we walk in the midst of trouble and he will deliver us from the anger of our foes. And not only does God save us, he is mighty to save, almighty, all-powerful. And that's where we left off last week, so let's pick up Isaiah 45, verse 11. See some other examples of the outstretched hand of God. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who have made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. Number five, God stretches out his hands to create The mighty hand of God brought forth creation. God created the heavens and the earth and the stars by the work of his hands. He created mankind with his outstretched hand. And we must remember that we are not the creator. I mean, we're not the creator. Only God is the creator. Satan is not the creator. Satan is an imitator, but he's not a creator. And that's the difference. He will try to mimic and he will try to imitate, but he is not the creator. He is a created being, is a fallen angel. And so there is only one creator and he doesn't make mistakes in the work of his hands. Amen? God doesn't make mistakes. And so we need to be reminded of our role in creation. This is so important. This has been on my heart all week. I've been fired up to preach this to you, so buckle up, here it comes. This is the, if you don't get anything else, get this. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Did you hear that? I love this analogy that God is the potter and we are the clay. God is almighty, he is the creator, and 
He took a lump of clay and created Adam and Eve. We, we studied that last Sunday night. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss tonight, night of worship. It's going to be great. God is so good. There is only one creator. And we need to be reminded again of our role. We are not the potter. We are not the creator. We're the, the chunk of mud. We're the mound of wet dirt on God's wheel. All of creation was spoken into existence except for man. Adam and Eve were handmade, handcrafted by God, and he breathed life into them. And so not only were Adam and Eve handcrafted by God, so were you. This is important to understand who you are, what you look like, your personality. That's all made by God. All of creation is made by God. We are the clay. We are not the potter. And as such, we are not in a place to question the potter regarding how he crafted us. Look at Romans 9.20. This analogy of God as the potter continues but who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Did you hear that? It is not our place to question how God made us. This is so important because I find that so many of us are disappointed in who we are. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, how we grow and learn and, and the impact of our environment. I'm talking about when you were created in the womb, when you were born. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, but God made me somewhat short. <laughs> somewhat. As the potter, God did not have enough clay on the wheel to make me that day. And when I was formed, the angels told God they were running low on clay because of the supply chain shortage. Right? Everything's messed up now, supply chain. Therefore, God didn't have as much to work with. And so he made me short. However, to make up for the shortage, God took some extra time to make me incredibly good looking. The cameraman loves that. Camera woman, I should clear, clarify. Well, that's going to be interesting going over the net network. He made me incredibly good looking and extra humble. As the clay, we don't have the right to ask the potter, why did you make me this way? I want you to know Satan wants you to feel discontent in who you look like. And your personality and your gifts and your strengths and your weaknesses. Satan wants you to question that. He wants you to be unsettled and disappointed. We will never find peace about ourselves until we praise the Lord like the psalmist did when he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it's okay to say that. It's, a, it's okay to thank God for how you're made. In fact, it's important that we give God glory. We tell the potter, thank you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even at five foot six, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am. I may be five foot six, but I identify as six foot five. 
But guess what? I still can't dunk. <laughs> Maybe in heaven I'll be six foot five, and everyone in hell will be five foot six. <laughs> then they will know the hell I have lived through here on earth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But it is true that Satan wants people to question how God made them. It's, it's, in, it's unbelievable what's going on in our world today. And this can be one of the dangers of social media, and especially on kids and teenagers, let alone adults. Because part of the, the fallout is, to, is discontentment. Discontentment for how we're made or for what we have or what we don't have. And the enemy is the source of stirring up discontentment. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve when she said, we, we can't eat of any of the tree. And he said, really? You can't eat of any of the tree? He began to question Eve and, and put in her mind that God may not be fair. And that doubt was sown and it led to sin and the fall of mankind. And so Satan's trying to sow those same seeds in you and me. Did God really say? Did God really make you that way? Do you know who you really are? Remember, we are made in the image of God. Now, this is important to understand. Angels were not made in the image of God. Satan was not made in the image of God. The animals were not made in God's image. We might, may love our pets, but they're still not made in the image of God. Only humanity is created in the image of God, but not only that. Let's look further. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he had created them. Male and female, he created them. The male alone is not the image of God. Male and female together comprise the image of God. And Satan is trying to distort and confuse and misrepresent that image. He wants to blur and tarnish the image of God. He hates the image of God. He hates humanity. And so he wants to discredit and confuse and attack the image of God and those that are made in it. God stretches out his hand to create. And so... It's important for us to thank the Lord for who we are, to, thank, to give God glory. Now, I'm not saying we should be kissing the mirror or anything weird, you know, <laughs> loving ourselves crazy. But the Bible does say you're to love your neighbor as yourself. There's a balance. And the problem is when we get it out of balance, when we don't love ourselves or when we do love ourselves too much. God is the potter. He stretches out his hand to create, and the clay cannot say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Let's see what else God does when he stretches out his hand. That's pretty awesome. Ezekiel 25, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord says, because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took vengeance with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah... Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines. I think I got too loud and scared somebody. 
And I will cut off the Carathites and destroy those remaining along the coast. I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Vengeance is mentioned four times in that passage. And God's trying to get it through to us that vengeance belongs to him. And number six, God stretches his hand out to avenge. The Philistines were ancient and almost constant enemies of Israel. But they went too far. And God wiped them off the map. The the Philistine race disappeared from history. Because of their malice and their hostility and their destruction against Israel and Judah. God will bring justice to this earth in time. It's coming. God said there will be a day of reckoning when justice will come and God will bring vengeance. But not only that, we have to trust God to bring justice in our time, in our life, in our experience. It is not our place to stretch out our hand and whack people, bless God, and seek revenge. And we know this scripture, but it's worth repeating. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord, quoting Leviticus. And so this is another issue of trust. When we want vengeance, we got to give it to God and trust that he will bring it to pass. The goal is that the person will repent and be restored. But it's not our place. There are certain things that belong to God and, are, and do not belong to us. And one of those things that do, does not belong to us is vengeance. It only belongs to God. And that's why the scripture says, leave room for God's wrath. He'll take care of it. The right way, always the right way, with the right measure. Another passage where the outstretched hand of God is mentioned is in Deuteronomy 11, verse 1 and 2. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Number seven, God stretches out his hand to discipline. Oh boy, we were liking all the other things. But this is important because there were three generations that that are specific to the promised land. The first generation, remember, tested God ten times. And so God said, that's it, you're not going into the promised land. That was the first generation. And they were the the generation that had been slaves. And this is important for us to understand. They'd lived as slaves for 430 years. They had no concept of governing themselves or how to become a nation. And they had no experience with warfare or battle. They'd been slaves. You know, sometimes we're we're set free and we don't even realize it. God set them free from slavery, the thing that bound them, and they couldn't even appreciate it. Sometimes the best freedom is in the wilderness. We don't want to go through the wilderness because that's difficult and harsh, but often that's where God brings discipline into our life. He prepares us for what is ahead. 
And that's why God led them to the wilderness. So the first, wilderness, or the first generation doubted, the Moses generation. And even Moses wasn't allowed in the promised land. Then the second generation was the Joshua generation. And they're the ones that took the land and they took it captive. But the problem was is they didn't finish the job. They got tired of fighting and wanted to finally enjoy the fruits of their labor. And so then comes the third generation who had not seen any battle, any miracles, any of the power of God, anything of his majesty. And as a result, within one generation, they fell away from God. I'm telling you, each generation needs to experience the power and might of God. Every generation needs to, to experience a revival. It's why think, something's happening in college campuses across the nation. It's a sovereign move of God. You can't manufacture that. And so, but this third generation didn't know, it was like they were back at the first generation. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't see the miracles. They didn't see the plagues. They didn't see the provision in the wilderness. And so, because they lived in houses they did not build and reap from vineyards they did not plant, they fell away from God. They forgot the Lord. The wilderness brings discipline in our lives to teach us self-control as well how to conduct spiritual warfare. You know, God, we, there are times where it says God will fight our battles. And then there are other times where it's clear he's going to fight them through us. So we need our hands trained for war, not literally, but spiritually. Have we taught our children how to pray? Have we taught our children how to worship, how to do spiritual warfare? Or have they just enjoyed the fruit of our labor and have no experience knowing how to fight spiritually? And this generation, this third generation, reaped the blessings that their, par their parents had sown. They didn't earn those houses and fields. Their parents fought for them. And this is always the danger of the next generation. Are we passing enough on? You know, I've done a lot of funerals the last few months, more than I ever have in such a short time. We are losing some of the great pillars of the church. They're going home to glory. We need some new pillars to rise up. Some of that next generation, I'm, I'm believing our young people are going to experience revival. I'm just believing and praying for them. Because you know what? They've had everything handed to them on a silver platter. And anytime that happens to people, it changes them. And the irony is they have more prosperity and wealth than any time in history, and yet it doesn't satisfy. And so sometimes... We, we experience the prosperity and realize, well, you know, th this alone is not enough. So they needed some challenges to learn the discipline of the Lord. God disciplines those he loves. And he will stretch out his hand and discipline us for our good. But I want you to see this passage in the book of Judges, which is actually a very, very troublesome book. Because the Israelites got in a cycle, they'd fall away from God, God would bring in discipline, they would repent, then there'd be revival, and then they'd fall away from God. And it was just a circle, all through Judges. Same story, different people. Look at Judges 3, verse 1. 
These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. And here were these nations, the five rulers of the Philistines. That's a whole sermon series in itself. I got, maybe one of those days I'll get to the five leaders of the Philistines. All the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's command, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. So these nations were left to teach them how to fight and to test if they would obey. The same is true of every generation. Have we learned to fight? Have we learned to do spiritual warfare? Have we learned to identify who our enemy is? Not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. And we don't fight with the weapons of this world, but we, we fight with the weapons of the spirit that are mighty to pull down strongholds. And so you wonder why the trials and tests come into your life. God's teaching you how to fight. He's bringing discipline in our life. Those challenges that you say, man, I've been, I've been struggling with this for some time. It's okay. God's teaching us through his loving discipline. And I'm going to pause right there and we'll pick up the rest next week. But we're going to go to communion at this time. And the Bible says, before we partake of communion, we are to examine ourselves. And so the worship team is going to play a song. And we're going to, take, we're going to go through the whole song. We're going to just, and if you don't know the song, just listen to it. Listen to the words. And we're going to take some time and just say, Lord, search my heart. Is there any bondage that you want to break? Is there any battle you want me to learn? Teach me, God. Is there any test that I need to pass? Remember, he's the potter. We're the clay. Not only did he make us, he bought us back through the blood of Jesus. We are twice his. I just want to encourage you today to to reach out to the Lord because he's reaching out to you. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your savior, today's the day. Reach out your hand to God. Ask the Lord into your heart and life. Ask him to make you a new person. But for the rest of us here, if, if we need to understand again God's love, we need to know that he is in control of our lives and our futures, and our children. Let's just reach out to him as we worship the Lord. But I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we will never forget what you did for us. You gave your body, you gave your life because you loved us. You, God, you so loved the world that you gave your son. And Lord, I just pray that as we partake of this bread, we partake of the bread of life. 
You said in your word that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we live on your bread, the bread of the word. And so, Lord, let it nourish us, let it inspire us, let it convict us, let it discipline us. So that, Lord, because we want to be right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's interesting. The bread represents that we would remember. And the juice represents that he's coming again. Don't forget what he's done and don't forget he said he's coming back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for us because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And as we've saying, how great is your love? How, how could you show any greater love than giving your life? Your hands were pierced, your feet were pierced, and by your stripes, we are healed. And so we claim that healing, Lord. We receive that healing from you, whether body, soul, or spirit. We receive our healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you drink of the juice? And would you stand with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The elders will come forward and board members for those who would like prayer. Look forward to seeing you tonight. God bless you. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.